How are you guys? <laughs> One person's good. All right. Praise the Lord. <laughs> well, I hope that you had a great and restful spring break. I think most of us, even the Japanese schools, uh, had a, a week off. And uh, I, too, just want to say thank you. Take a moment just to say thank you to our, our amazing youth leaders. They did such an incredible job loving on, investing in uh, our kids here and all those that helped to volunteer. And just so thank you for that. Thank you for just loving on them, investing in them. Um, I'm excited to see what God's going to continue to do with our young people. Uh, real quick, too, I have a, a, just a quick praise. Uh, we've been praying for Azer, our beloved brother. He's a worship leader. He's also one of our youth leaders. He'd been in the hospital for the last two weeks. So this past week, he was sprung. He got out. Uh, he's doing better now. So we praise the Lord for that. He's actually downstairs hanging out with our youth kids, helping to lead worship. And so we rejoice in that. So thank you. I know his parents uh, you know, were very grateful for the body here, for loving on him, and just praying you know, through that. So thank you, guys. All right. Well, today is the first Sunday of the month for us here at Calvary. We're going to have a time of communion towards the close of our service. Uh, it's our last study in the book of Hebrews. Amazing, huh? Hebrews 13. If you have your Bible, let's turn there. And we're going to just make our way through, and we'll unpack these verses. If you got in the door and you forgot your Bible or you would like to borrow one, we would be more than happy to let you borrow one. You just have to raise your hand high in the air, and uh, the guys will be happy to let you borrow uh, a Bible so you can follow with us. We're going to be in Hebrews 13, and finishing out the chapter, it's our last message in, in, in our series here we entitled Draw Near, which is really one of, the, one of the themes of Hebrews, that we who were once afar off, that God has allowed us to come close to Him, and we can have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ, and we're grateful for that. I entitled our message this morning, uh, Living Out God's Love, and specifically through prayer. We're going to see the writer ask for prayer, and he's going to offer a benediction, and so we're going to basically look at those things and say, all right, Lord, what do you have there for us? Okay. Also this morning, it's kind of special, Maki, so we, we translate our services, as I'm teaching in English, they get translated or interpreted in Japanese in real time, um, and we have a team of translators that do that. And Maki is uh, joining Sunday's team for the first time. And so this week, I went through the thesaurus, and I got all these big words, uh, words I don't normally use, and so just in preparation for Maki. But we can pray for Maki, too. All right. Well, if you're there, I'm going to invite you to stand with me, if you don't mind, Hebrews 13. It is, uh, again, great to see you guys this morning. The author, of course, inspired by God's Spirit, says, Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. He moves from a prayer for us to a prayer for them. He says, Now may the God of peace, and notice it's, it's doctrinally rich, the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of all the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, that he would make you complete in every good work to do his will, God working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he has a little bit of a P.S. to his letter. I appeal to you, brethren, that you bear with the word of exhortation, for I've written you in a few words, knowing that, or excuse me, know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. 
And then he gives a shout out. Greet all those who rule over you, all the saints. Those from Italy say hello to you. And grace be with you all. Amen. Amen. All right. I know Evan just prayed. Uh, let's just pray real quick for our time of study. Father, we thank you for the morning. Pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, we, this is the day that you've made, and as your word says, we can rejoice and be glad in it. I'm grateful for the blessing that we can be together for worship. Father, we're grateful for your spirit who inspired the author, who then also illuminates the word today that we can understand it. Your spirit who leads and guides and comforts and convicts. Lord, we're grateful for Jesus, through whom and by whom we have forgiveness. We can have grace and eternal life. And so this morning, we want to draw close to you to learn from your word and to leave here changed. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Take a moment, say hello, and then you can have a seat. Great to see you guys. I, I've shared this before, so I just thought it'd be good to share again, especially in light of our topic. You know, one of, one of my favorite things that I like to do uh, when we have you guys over for dinner, if you haven't been over to my house for dinner, uh, don't worry, um, I'm coming around to make invitation. But one of the things that we like to do, just to kind of get to know each other and have fellowship, and if you're able and you're willing, so I, like to, I like to play board games or card games with people. I, I think, uh, not only is it fun, but I I think it's, you can learn a lot about a person when you play a game with them, right? Whether it's a sport game or a board game, you can find out quickly, oh, this, this person's competitive, right? <laughs> or uh, or they either are they a rule follower or are they a risk taker, right? Some things. Uh, and then you find out, too, sometimes people, they are outward verb, verbal processors. Like, they're just talking to themselves. Should I do this? Should I not do this? Right? They're just talking through their, their options, also find out like, oh, how a person might uh, act when they win or when they lose, right? Like, oh, are they a sore winner or a sore loser? Or even if there's conflict, like how do they respond to that? Um, one time, it wasn't at our house, uh, we were invited to another family's house. So Chrissy and I went, we're having dinner, they're kind of a newer family to the church. And they're like, hey, we like to play games. We're like, we like to play games too. And so we started playing this game. They were fine, but it was Christy who got mad at me. She got really angry at me during the game. And then, uh, and then she started like getting like real tense and terse with me, and I'm like, hey, it's okay. And then she's like, you want to fight? You want to go right now? I'm like, hey, the new people. They never come back to church, though. <laughs> so uh, we won't do that if you come over. We won't fight. <laughs> uh, they learned a lot about me and my wife at that time, I guess. Uh, I think you can also learn a lot about a person if you travel with them, right? If you, especially if it's like on a missions trip or you're going like an extended time, you, you, you're like, oh, th- this person wants to know the entire itinerary from the beginning. Like, where are they going? What are we going to eat? What are the times? You know, those personality types. Uh, and then you have the personality types where you like, if you deviate from that, they freak out. Like, why are we stopping for ice cream? Because the Spirit of God told me, like, this is where we're to go, right? Uh, you find out, like, oh, is this person that likes to stay in the pack, or they, they're independent? They're the wanderer. They're making their own agenda, you got to find them, like everyone else is ready to go, like, where is so-and-so, right? Maybe that's you. Uh, whether they're shoppers or adventurers, you can learn a lot about a person. You travel with them, you realize, oh, they like to be on the plane first, or they're, they're the last ones. It's a lot of fun. 
And lastly, I think you can learn a lot about a person when you pray with them. If you spend any time with a person and you begin to have times of prayer with them, you can learn a lot about them. You learn about their heart for God. You can even get a little glimpse into their theology, what they believe about God and God's grace and the gospel. And even times where you get a privileged a seat and into a space of vulnerability with some people, maybe some of their deeper wounds and hurts and fears. Uh, you know, you get to step into that. You get to hear what they value. You get to hear what worries them. Uh, and you'll find out quickly what they love, who they love and what they love and what they care about. And so it's those three things that often you get to learn a lot about a person. Here at the closing verses of Hebrews chapter 13, really this entire letter we get to learn something about the author. In fact, it's probably the first time we get to get a glimpse into the personality and the person of who this author is. I mean, he's already written 12, for us, 12 chapters of solid theology, of doctrine, and instruction, but uh, when he gets to this last part, it, it's, it's very personal. And you get to get a little bit of insight into who and what this person values, their heart for others, their theology, of course, we already know, but really some vulnerability and care and concern that he has for the people. And so this morning, we're going to walk through that and unpack it as we normally do. We'll just go verse by verse, and hopefully you'll be encouraged and challenged as we do so. So I draw your attention, verse 18, we'll take that first phrase. The author writes, pray for us, pray for us. Now, at the onset of this particular letter to the Hebrews, we noted we don't know who the author is. Uh, the, the person never names themselves. Um, so we don't know. We assume that the readers would know. And it's interesting to me that it takes all the way to the end of this letter for our very first kind of insight into the person who's writing this letter. It doesn't come until the very end. And you notice with me, it comes in the form of a prayer request and then a prayer that he offers, right? The first two verses are a request, and verse 20 and on is a, is a benediction. He wants to give a blessing to, uh, to the church or to the believers there. I mean, right off the bat, the thing that I noticed is that this, this was a, a leader who, I guess, humbly acknowledged, if I can say it that way, he, he willfully and humbly acknowledged that a dependence upon the prayers of God's people for his own life and for the people that were with him. He noticed the pronoun us. He says, pray for us. He doesn't say, pray for me. So evidently his readers, these Jewish believers, knew him and knew his crew that he's with, although all of them are unnamed. And yet here as this leader, as a person who's writing to exhort, encourage, direct, even correct some things that this group of believers were doing, uh, with authority to do so, and yet there's a humility there that he says, hey, would you pray for me? Pray for us, please. And I think it's a great example. We'll pause for a second. And regardless of how long you or me, we've been walking with the Lord, how long you might have been a Christian, or, or maybe even for you, you're, you're in a place of influence, um, this is a great reminder for us that none of us should be above the need of prayers of God's people. As much as we know, as much as you've done, that we, we still need each other and we still need the prayers of each other. In fact, this is one way that God gives us that we can connect and, 
access, you know, the resources of heaven. Uh, E.M. Bounds, who tremendous theologian, wrote a number of books, a lot of them on prayer, so he's very quotable on prayer. But he says that prayer is God's plan. It is the way that God supplies your and my great need, our continuous need, and he does so by connecting us to God's great and continuous abundance. Right? That's how we access the resources of heaven. And when we pray together, there's something that happens. There's this unique, I'll call it unique, a unique form of intimacy, a unique form of bonding together as the family of Christ that we then together get to petition the Father together for. And I don't think the world really has an understanding of it or they don't have that, they don't possess that. They they have a, a copycat version of it, but they don't really have the real form of it. You know, people will say, and I think sincerely say, oh, my prayers are with you, or I'm sending you good vibes, or, or my thoughts are with you, or maybe they'll just put a little prayer emoji, you know, if you're asking for prayer. And, and I think we can be grateful for those sentiments. I think we can be grateful for the friendships and people who at least offer that, and they, you know, they, they, they want to do something. But, but in reality, we know, like, if they don't really know the Lord, those sentiments really then are without any true power. Uh, They're kind words, and they're nice words, but they are just words at that. They don't really have any substance to them. Um, When my kids were younger, um, a group of us, when we were young, some guys would come over and we'd play play video games, and my kids wanted to play, and so we would just give them a controller without any batteries. Like, here you go, right? And the kids are all happy, thinking they're doing something. I'm like, yeah, press the button, jump, you know, and Right? They, 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 had, they had something, but it really had no, it wasn't connected. Or maybe when your kids are little, you know, really young, right, they have that little plastic toy steering wheel in the car and they pretend like they're driving, but they're not really, of course, they're not really driving, right? It just, it's just kind of a, an outward form. And I think sometimes there are those who have good meaning and they just kind of have this outward form. And they offer these kind words. It's like, here's a flashlight, but there's no batteries to it. There's, there's no real power to it. And yet, what God has given us, this amazing privilege, as we've been studying through the book of Hebrews, that you and I can come boldly into God's throne room of grace to find mercy and help anytime that we need. We don't need an appointment. We don't need to be geographically somewhere. We can do it anywhere that we're at. That's amazing. And if you're like me, I have to repent because sometimes I take that for granted. I don't always ask accessing that. I'm not always thinking about that. But then add on top of that the, the amazing blessing that we then as brothers and sisters can share together. We can come together before the Lord. That you can have people who, who love you and love the Lord and they then petition the Father to bless you and provide for you. And, 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 and you know, it, that in itself is uplifting. That in itself is very powerful. And I submit to you that that in itself is a gift to be able to have prayer together, to pray for one another. And the Bible tells us over and over again to do that. Again, it's not only our own individual privilege. Well, you have that. That is a privilege that God has given you. But even beyond that, to join others in solidarity. See, I know for me as a father, I have four kids. And and sometimes when my kids were younger, they would send one representative kid. You know, usually it was Rebecca, because <laughs> she could, she you know, she could pull my heartstrings better than the boys could. 
Dad, can we do this? And, but if all of them came, like all four of them came, and they you know, came with uh, a request, you know, I'd give them a little bit more, like, all right, what do you guys got going on? No, I'm not giving you money. Like, you're right. What else you got? You're right. And I think similarly, it just blesses the Father when we, when we join together and we, and we pray to the Father together. I mean, not only does uh, the writer Hebrews model this for us, I, I would say even Jesus himself gives us that model. I mean, Jesus, who God in the flesh, obviously had access to the Father any time, and yet you remember he, he asked the disciples, hey, would you come and pray? Would you pray with me, pray for me? And he invited others to join him in prayer. And so if the Lord models that, and here we have a model of that, we, we should do that. And maybe, again, if you're like me, what often gets in the way of that is, well, it's my pride. It's our pride. We, it keeps us from asking others to pray for us. We're embarrassed, or we think, ah, I don't want to show that I'm vulnerable or I'm weak in this area. And so there's an element of humility. Right? It's an element of of humbling yourself to ask for prayer because to ask for prayer means then you're admitting you don't have what you need. You're, you're, we're admitting that we don't have the resources or the wisdom or the intellect or, or, the, or the attitude or whatever it is. We're lacking in something. And so we're saying, hey, could you pray for me because I'm struggling in this area? Could you pray for me because I'm worried about this? I mean, God already knows we're lacking. But it is then a, a, an act of humility to let your sister know and your brother know, right? Somebody else know, hey, I'm insufficient. Our pride doesn't like that. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like I can use all the prayer I can get. <laughs> I feel like there's times where I, like, I'm praying for myself, but I don't feel like anything's happening. And James says that the prayer of a righteous person avails much. And so that's why I'm often like, hey, would you pray for me? <laughs> Because you're righteous, I'm not righteous. So let me just frame, frame it this way. An encouragement for us, perhaps a challenge for us. Do not be ashamed and do not be afraid to ask for prayers from other people. See, when, when you do that, what happens? It, you, you allow, you're opening a door for a person to connect with you in a deeper way. To show care and concern, genuine care and concern to help carry you know, each other's burdens. That's what the Bible says. It strengthens our relationship as a family, our fellowship. I like to use the word family-ship. God places in a family and strengthens our family-ship together, to be able to bear each other's burdens and intercede for each other and, and pray for each other. And guess what? It, it fosters humility. To ask for help, it helps to keep us humble. And so these are good things. Well, he continues, he says, for we're confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. So he makes the prayer request, hey, would you guys pray for us? We don't know exactly specifically, it's just general. But then he also adds the statement. And the statement you notice with me is one of assurance. He says, I'm confident in my conscience, but it's also one of aspiration. I'm desiring to live honorably. And those things can go together. He's assured of one thing, but he also wants something. And I want to submit to you that the, the writer perhaps is adding this because what he's letting them know is like, listen, I'm clear in my conscience. I have nothing to hide. Right? He has just laid out all kinds of doctrinal truth to them. He's exhorted them. He's told them to do certain things. He's had some hard words for them through this letter. 
And he gets to the end and he says, listen, uh, I, I'm not telling you something that I'm not willing to do. I'm not asking you to do something that I haven't done or that I'm not doing. And he's not, he's not a hypocrite, what he's previously shared. That he's saying, I, I can stand secure. I have a clear conscience. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked run away when no one's chasing them but the righteous will be as bold as lions. Right? There's this sanctified confidence that you and I have when we're standing in the will of God, when we're walking with the Lord. Not that we're perfect. We keep our accounts short. We confess our sins. But there's a peace that comes. There's a, 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 a clear conscience that comes. And, and with that, right, there's just this sense of, of assurance that comes with that. It's different than when you're guilty, right? It's different than if you, you're hiding something. You know, here in Okinawa, it's kind of funny. Some of the cop cars will drive around with their, their lights already on, right? You ever notice that? Anybody ever get nervous? Why do you get nervous? <laughs> Sometimes I get, I, you know, I see that, I'm like, oh, especially when they pull in behind you. Like, oh, and check my speed and my seatbelt and look at my kid. You got your seatbelts on, right? Hands at 2 and 10, you know. I'm a citizen driver. You know. I'm not really worried. I'm like, ah, I don't, I don't have a guilty conscience. Maybe when I was a younger man, I'd be like, oh, no, the cops, you know. Because I remember my days. I know when they pulled you over. Okay, I, I, I know how this goes, officer. I remember this. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> but there's such a freedom, right? There's such a, a piece of, of our of conscience when we're just we're walking in the light of God's grace. Again, not that we're perfect. We also realize, hey, uh, we know it's really not even our righteousness. Right? The Bible says our righteousness is like dirty laundry. We come to the gospel, we realize, oh, we're, we're covered. Right? We've been clothed, the Bible uses this term, clothed with the righteousness of Christ. It's been imputed to us. We've been credited. Not, our credit's horrible. But Christ had perfect credit, if you will. He has a perfect standing. And, and, he, and he says, you know what? I'll take your junky credit score. I'll take your sin, and I'm going to give you my perfect standing. I'm going to clothe you with the righteousness that I have. The writers are going to explain this a little bit more in the next verses, but when I submit to you that what allows him to say to them, hey, I'm clear of conscience, because he knows that he's standing in the Lord. The fact that Christ paid for his sins as he's paid for your sins and my sins, and because of that, places us then forever with a right standing before the Father. And so we, we then can have a clear conscience. We then can have a, an assurance, oh, God has forgiven me, God has accepted me, I've been adopted into the family of God. Nothing will change that. This past week, uh, our family was invited to go to the UQ Kings Stadium there in Okinawa City. Uh, there's a family whose son is on the under-18 team, plays for them, and so they invited us to join them for practice there at the stadium. And if you've ever been there, you know it's a really pretty stadium. And so they said, hey, uh, there's a different entrance. This is where you to go, and here's the door. This is how it's marked. You go through that door. You can walk in. And, uh, and just take a seat over the court side. And, and so we did. We ended up going over there. We found the door. We walked in. And uh, 
and just, you know, found our seats, and we sat down, and, and in the court, there was some staff and, um, you know, some people doing some stuff, and on the other side were some coaches, and when the coaches came over, I turned to Christy, and I said, run! No, I didn't say that. I didn't have to say that, right? We were invited. We were told, hey, you're going to have seats there, and so we weren't nervous about it. We were at peace, we were invited and we were welcomed because, well, because of the son of this other family. See, Jesus invites us into his family. He himself, the Bible says, is the door. And because of his sacrifice and all that he has done, his life and his death and his resurrection, we get a permanent seat in the courtyard of God that we can come in anytime that we want. And so the writer is saying, I'm confident, we're confident, our conscience is clear. And I have to wonder that he makes that statement, like, okay, good for you, but I wonder if he's making that statement to them attached to their prayer request, would you pray for us so that they would understand that in Christ they too can have a clear conscience? Because you remember the context? The, The whole letter is written to Hebrews. They were Jewish Christians or Messianic Jews who came out of Judaism, who were very used to the old sacrificial system. And through the letter, we understand that some of them were struggling with that. They were used to the furniture and the fixtures and the priesthood. And the writer is saying, listen, you don't need that anymore. We, we, we walk by faith. And for them to, to think, okay, can, can I really come before the Lord on your behalf? Or do I need to go to an intermediate? Do I need to go before the priest in order for this to happen? And the writer is saying, listen, we have a clear conscience. I'm asking you to do this. There's freedom in that. And so not only is there an assurance, but notice he says, in all things, desiring to live honorably. And so he adds to that an aspiration. He realizes, uh, I have a clear conscience, but I haven't arrived yet that we're still works in progress. Again, considering who's writing these words, it's, it's a, a person of spiritual authority. It's a person who's uh, writing from a place of influence. He's a leader. And yet even him and the guys that are with him, he's saying, you know, we, we haven't arrived yet. We haven't reached the, the pinnacle of our spiritual ranks. We, we want to we wanna still live honorably. We still want to pursue holiness. We've talked before that phrase, right? No one drifts into holiness. But it begins with, does this, is this something we want? Because notice he says, this is what we desire. And that's the beginning point. Is that even something that we desire? Do we realize there's value in that? That we'd want to live right before the Lord? Well, we know that we've been cleansed, right? We've been justified, and yet God calls us to then live a holy life and live sanctified. We're set apart from the world, but then God wants to get the world out of us. It's a challenge for us. I think it's a good challenge that we would, we would make it our aspiration as well. That we would say, Lord, help me to make that my desire. I, I want to live right before you. I want to live honorably. I want to be a person that pursues purity. The Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians and he says to them, uh, not, not that I have already achieved, 
not that I've already attained these things or that I've reached perfection. He says, but I press on. I'm moving forward to grab a hold of that perfection which Christ has grabbed a hold of me. And he says, here's the thing that I do. I forget the things that are behind. And sometimes that's just our first step, right? Just, we don't want our, our past to keep us imprisoned. God set you free. All the old things that we've done, right? Last week we studied Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's forgiven you. He's released you. Sometimes we carry around guilt and shame as though it's baggage we're forever tied to. No, no, you're not. You can set it down. Let it go. And so even the Apostle Paul says, I forget those things that are behind, and, I, and I'm reaching forward. And that's an active word. I'm reaching forward. I'm pursuing. I'm moving forward. Okay, that should be something that we desire too. He says, and of insurance, we're confident. We have this good conscience, clear conscience. Christ died for me. I'm standing in that, but I also want to grow. I'm going to live honorably. And then he says, especially verse 19, I urge you to do this. To do what? The idea is to pray. Pray this way. On top of that, here's my prayer request. Pray that I would be restored to you the sooner. So now we get some details. What, what does he want? What is he asking for prayer for? Above everything else, he's basically saying, I want to see you. I want to be able to be connected with you. I mean, hasn't this been the prayer of many of our hearts for the last two years because of stupid COVID? We've been separated. We've been isolated. We haven't been able to go see our loved ones, people we care about. Well, I'm grateful for modern technology. I'm grateful for texting and iMessage and Zoom and FaceTime. I mean, praise the Lord for those things, but, but they are not the same as being physically with somebody, right? To see them eyeball to eyeball and give them a hug and eat some, you know, tacos with them. It's completely different. And the author is basically saying, here's my prayer request. On top of everything that you can pray for us for, that we would be able to see you. That I'd be able to, to give you a hug and, and shake your hand. And it's, a, again, a good reminder for us that God made us for community. There is no lone rangers in the body of Christ. That in some shape and form, whether you like it or not, we are made for connection. We, we all have a place in the body. And no one can say to another one, you're not important or I'm not important or you have no place. We all have a place. Even the most introverted of us. Because I, I know for some of you, when the beginning of ROM was happening and the quarantines, and you know, you had to have a stay-home order. I know for some of you, the I, you know, the, the introverts, you're like, yes, I thrive here. Right? And you're all happy. And, and I have to admit, there's a little bit of me. I was a little bit happy too. Like, yeah, my wife was suffering. She loves people. It's it might be good for a little bit. You know, you know your own rhythms and the things that you need and take a break and recharge. I, I get it. But I feel like we've crossed that line of health a long time ago, right? The, the limit of isolation and separation, that's long expired. It, we've moved now into unhealthy realms. And it's manifesting in um, mental health and emotional health and spiritual health issues. 
and people are depressed and disconnected, it's not good. And that's certainly not what God intends for us as the body of Christ. I, I think we should be purposeful, prayerfully purposeful, like he is. I pray that I could see you. I, he's like, I pray that we can be together and that, that we would fold that into our own prayers to be praying for and pursuing community together because that's what God's designed us for, to be together. Again, it's something I think we can neglect or we take, take for granted, especially with modern technology. We've already studied earlier in, in, in chapter 10, verse 25, the writer says, he already told them, hey, you guys, don't, my paraphrase, don't ditch church. Don't, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves, as is the manner of some, he said. Other people are doing that, but we shouldn't do that. Well, there's things that come up, and there's grace, right? We're not legalistic, and so your kickball championship, praise the Lord, to the glory of God, right? Or other things. I'm not going to just pick on the kickball people. <laughs> but we should make it a priority. And the writer of Hebrews says, especially as we see the day approaching. Of course, he's talking about the end times. He's talking about the day when Christ comes back. When the world starts to go crazy and crazier, and, and we're trying to make sense of it. What's going on? Well, it's that much more that we need to be together to encourage each other, to let you know, like, hey, you're not going crazy. The world's crazy. You're, you're fine. And to pray for one another, encourage one another. Because we need this. And I think I can honestly say this. Like, when you're gone, you're genuinely missed. When you're not here, you, in one sense, uh, are keeping the blessing of getting to know you right, for the rest of us. I imagine you think you're pretty cool. You're a nice person. You're a good person. Like, you know, we want to be able to make community together, and, and we miss out on the blessing of your company if you withhold yourself from gathering together. And so his, his prayer request is, hey, hey, above all things, will you pray for us? Pray that we'll be able to see you. Pray that we'll be able to have some, some fellowship together. He moves from his prayer request to a benediction a prayer for them. He says, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, who by the blood or through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you complete. And notice the qualifiers and all that. Make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you that is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so here the author moves from a humble request, would you pray for me, pray for us, pray that we can come see you. Now he wants to pray a blessing on them. And really that's what you know, a benediction is. It's kind of a closing blessing on, on a group. Gang, this is... As I mentioned earlier, prayer is a great gift that we get to share together. To pray for others and then ask for prayer, but then to reciprocate that we can pray for others and pray a blessing on people. I think it's a powerful thing. It's a very beautiful thing. And it's in this benediction that the author, who's already developed a lot of 
deeper doctrinal themes, right, throughout Hebrews, pulls in some of those ideas in the closing prayer. I mentioned before, you know, prayer not only reveals like what's on your heart, what you care about and what you love, what you're worried about, but, but also reveals a little bit of what's in your head. We get a little bit of a glimpse of, of what do we think about God? The nature of God, the person of God, the grace of God. Right? There's a little bit of a glimpse into a person's doctrine when you can hear them pray. And, and of course, as we hear this prayer, we realize, oh, this, this person's doctrine is very solid. And that's also important, right? What we think about God, how we relate to the Lord, it, it impacts everything, how you live. Because often if you have goofy doctrine, you're going to have a goofy life. Right? If you have bad theology, you're going to make some bad decisions. But you notice with me too, I mean, it's a powerful prayer. It's filled with biblical truth. But I don't think he's praying just to be showy. Our prayers shouldn't really be a showcase for us just to let other people know how, how rich our theology is, how much we know biblically, impress people with our eloquent words and you know, lofty speech and these things. God's really not impressed with that. Well, we might know it, and you might be able to wax eloquent and be very intellectual, uh, that in itself isn't a wrong thing, but if you're praying insincerely, if your motive is just to be noticed, just to impress somebody, God's not impressed. Better that we just pray short, simple, sincere prayers. Lord, help. <laughs> Jesus would rebuke, kind of condemn the Pharisee, the religious leaders of his day. So you see how they pray? They love the applause of men. And so they will, on purpose, make these long prayers, these eloquent prayers, so people are like, ooh, look how spiritual they are. He says, that's their reward, man's applause. God's not impressed with that. So there's an element where you know, we pray, but we, it reflects our understanding of God's nature. What, what, what does he reveal for us? Important things. He reveals, well, first of all, that God is a God of peace. Christianity 101, and God is a God of peace, right? We, the reason that you and I can experience the peace of God first become, is because we have the peace with God. And peace with God comes because of Jesus Christ. He is the Prince of Peace and a Kingdom of Peace and the Throne Room of Peace that says, a peace I give to you the world doesn't have. You can be anxious for nothing and you come before me with thanksgiving Make your request known to me, and I will take those burdens. In exchange, I'll give you a peace that surpasses understanding. It's going to guard your heart, and it's going to guard your mind. You don't have to hit the panic button. Everything about the Lord is wrapped in his peace. Paul writes to the Ephesian church, and he basically says, For Christ is our peace. He is our peace. Whatever separation there was, specifically in the context between Jew and Gentile or any other group, he says, God's removed that. He's removed the wall of separation. We all get to come before. We're all in the same playing field. And later on in chapter 2, verse 17, he, he adds, and he came and he preached peace to those who are far off and those who are near, that through him we can have access to the Father through the Spirit. And so, 
He's a God of peace who raised Jesus from the dead. Evan mentioned in his prayer how Paul says, without the resurrection, our faith is nothing. It is the hinge in which our faith swings, right? In a couple of weeks, we're going to gather together again, and I hope that you'll come back, and I hope that you'll invite your friends and family and neighbors. We're going to gather to celebrate this very fact that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and he rose again according to the scriptures on the third day. And that's something we get to celebrate because that means everything for us. That he conquered death. He goes before us. And we have a promise then that one day when we pass from this life to the next, we will live forever with the Lord. That's no small thing. And so here the writer reminds them of this, that Jesus was raised from the dead. God um, verified the identity of the Son and then validated the sacrifice that he made. We can think of it this way. The cross on which Jesus died on Good Friday is the payment, and the empty tomb is the receipt. The transaction went through. It was approved. And so Jesus rose from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep. The great shepherd of the sheep. In the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as a shepherd three times. Three titles, I should say. The first title is the one he ascribes to himself. He says, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for my sheep. And so as the good shepherd, we know Jesus redeemed us. He bought us. He purchased you. His very life, that's, a, that's something that has happened. And we become you know, the sheep of his pasture. As the great shepherd... As the writer describes here, the implication is that the Lord cares for us. He's concerned about you. His promise is that he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll lead us and guide us to green pastures. His desire is to feed us and grow us and, and, and care for us. Then Peter calls him the chief shepherd. And it's a picture of the future. So in one sense, we have a picture of the past, the present, and the future and as the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ is coming back. He's going to return. And when he returns, he says, I will receive you unto myself. And so here we're reminded that we, we have a, this great shepherd who loves us, who cares for us, who tends us, who leads us, who protects us. And then he says, and, and through the blood of the covenant, the everlasting covenant, of course, he's talking about the blood of Christ. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. There's no remission of sin. There's no removal of sin. Uh, again, the original audience who came out of a, the Judeo or uh, Judaism and, and following God through the Mosaic law, they'd understand completely. The sacrificial system, it was designed by God on purpose to be very graphic. It was a visual, graphic, horrific reminder of the cost of your sin. You would grab an animal that you owned or you bought, and you would take it 
to the temple or the tabernacle, and you would confess your sins on this innocent animal, and spiritually, symbolically, transactionally, your sins would be transferred to this innocent life, this innocent animal, and then that animal would be sacrificed in your place. And so you would see that. It, it, it would be very graphic. It would be very moving. It was, a, it was a visual representation of what Paul says, how the wages of sin is death. That's what happens to sin. That's what it produces. And we talked already, right? It was perpetual. Because one day you'd mess up and you'd get angry and kick your cat and yell at your you know, kids. And, and then you're like, oh, great. I'm going to go to the town. I'm going to make this sacrifice. And you'd be going home on your donkey and someone would cut you off and you'd give them the one-way sign to heaven and just turn right back around and go make another sacrifice, right? It's over and over again. It's perpetual. It never ended. Because why? We're sinners. We just constantly sin. And then Jesus came and John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Bible says by his one perfect sin, atoned for all sins. The one final, complete payment. Nothing else remains. Right? The writer's already told us it would be an insult for us then to go back to the sacrificial system. It would be like us saying, well, Jesus didn't really pay for my sins. And so the writer of Hebrews intertwines these great themes of, of revelation of who Christ is with redemption of what Christ has done. How do we have this access? Well, it's through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Here's the prayer, though. Here's what he's asking for, that, that God would make you complete in every good work according to his will. He's saying, I pray God would bless your flip-flops off. And everything that God has endeavored you to do and given for you to do, that you would experience the fullness of God's grace and all the things that God has called you to do. What a great prayer request. What a great prayer for somebody. That, that phrase, at least in the New King James, make you complete. Maybe in your Bible it says equip. It's, it's this Greek word, one word, it's katartasai. Uh, katartasai. It actually has two meanings. I think it can mean either or, but I also think it can mean and both. So one part of that meaning, it means to equip. It's, it's actually a military term. It's the idea that, uh, that you're going to go to basic training and you're going to be trained and equipped for the work, the job that you uh, are given to do. The mental know-how, uh, the physical stamina, and the actual equipment that you need to be able to, to function and do your job well. That's one idea of that word. And that's what God does, right? God calls us and God equips us by His Spirit, according to His will. The other part of that word, though, it also means to repair. Not just prepare, but also to repair, to mend, to fix. It's the same word used in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus comes and there's Peter and there's James and John and they're already at the end of their day fishing and we read that they were mending their nets. That's the same word. They're fixing something that was broken. And just that word imagery, the, the idea, here's his prayer. I pray that God would equip you, give you everything that you need to do what God's called you to do. 
And I pray that God would repair, that God would restore, God would fix everything that's broken so that you can continue to do all that God has given you to do. See, understand, sometimes we have the wrong idea to think that God's given us as though we have this one chance and, and, and you better not blow it. Like, here's what you're to do and don't mess it up. You got one job. And then, then if we fumble or if we stumble, we make a mistake, we fell into sin as though, oh, great, now it's, we're done. I'm no good. I have to sideline myself as though somehow God fired you or released you. No. You don't lose your spot. God is the God of second and fifth and fiftieth chances. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. He's ridiculously patient. Blow your mind, gracious. That's our God. Who loves you, loves your marriage, loves your family. And when we stumble and fall and we do at times, he doesn't kick you when you're down. He picks us up and he dusts us off and he says, all right, let's go. And so this verse reminds us of that. This verse reminds us that that God equips us and God restores us and God repairs us. And God has a plan for your life. It's not just a cliche, but he's working in you, right? And that, it's, it's active. He's working in you. God's working in you, working with you, working through you. And notice, very importantly, to the glory of God, for the purpose of pleasing him. If anything, it could just be a diagnostic. Are, are we... Are we growing in the grace of God to the glory of God? Or who's getting the credit? And for what purpose? For my gain? For my kingdom? Or are we doing so to the pleasure of God? He says, I appeal to you, verse 22, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I've written you in a few words. I kind of chuckled at that because it's taken us almost two years to get through Hebrews. <laughs> it's not a few words for me. Maybe 40 minutes to read uh, the book of Hebrews out loud. But notice he, he, he's basically saying, hey guys, I, I, I want you to bear with me because I know that I had some hard things that I've said to you. Because if you know the letter of Hebrews, he has said some hard things. Right? He has said some like, well, I, I don't know that I like that you said that. He, he's told them, you know, there's a lot of you, you've been in the Lord so long, you should be teaching the word, but you're still drinking a milk bottle. You're like babies. That's not a fun thing to hear, right? And yet, so he's saying, listen, I, I, I've written to you, I'm appealing to you. Why? Here's what I want to submit. We get to hear his heart. He loves them. He's genuinely concerned about them. He cares for them. If he didn't really care for them, he wouldn't say anything. But he loves them enough to call them out. And so he's saying, I, I have some hard things that I've written to you, I know. See, guys, there are some times where we, we need to be uplifted, right? We're feeling down, and so someone comes alongside and says, hey, can I pray for you? And, and uplifts us and pats us on the back and says, hey, you're good, keep going. But there are other times where we're lazy, 
We're making excuses for ourselves. And, and it's not just a pat on the back that we need. Sometimes it's a kick in the pants that we need. Where someone would love you enough to say, hey, I don't think you should be doing that. Or how come you're not around? Or what's going on? Love you enough to call you out and correct you? Do you have somebody like that in your life? If you don't, I want to lovingly challenge you to get someone like that in your life. It's so healthy and needed for us. Learn. And I would say this position right now, decide that when you are corrected or even rebuked, that you're going to be okay. Because I've seen people who get mad. They get angry. They get bitter. And they leave. You know, they're not, they don't want to pray anymore. They don't want to be in the Word anymore. They're not in fellowship anymore. And it makes me sad. And there's sometimes you're going to hear things that maybe you don't agree with. I, you know, I, the phrase that I use is just chew the meat and spit the bones. Or if you're a vegetarian, chew the vegetables and spit the seeds. I don't know, right? The stuff that's good. You want to hold on to that. And if it's not good, you know, it's just then just give that to the Lord. You lay it by the wayside. But you take that to the Lord. God, is there something there that I need to learn from? And it's a, it's a sign of maturity, you know, because I think even naturally, uh, bitter fruit is often immature fruit. It hasn't fully ripened, right? You're like, oh, this is bitter because it's immature. He says, know that our, our brother Timothy has been set free. Apparently, the author knew Timothy, the readers knew Timothy. Set free from where? Well, I believe free from prison. Of whom I, I shall see if he comes shortly. The idea is he, he, he's saying, listen, I'm waiting for Timothy and we're going to come together. We're going to make this a group trip. Greet all those who rule over you. The idea is the leaders there at that community, that church, that, those believers, all the saints. We get an insight to where he might be. Those from Italy greet you. Oh, where in Italy? We don't know. Maybe he's in Rome. He's having some pizza, writing this letter. Then he ends with the great, just blessing. Grace be with you all. Amen. Apparently, the writer knew Timothy. The audience knew Timothy. Timothy, if you remember, was that young pastor that the apostle Paul discipled and raised up and brought with him. So it's possible that the, the writer is Paul. Again, we don't know. But whoever it is, understood that by sharing this news, it would be encouraging, just like we talked about how Azer was set free from the hospital. And that's encouragement. Yay, praise the Lord. Because we care for him, and we, we love him, and we're, we're, we're grateful that he's, you know, out of that situation. And so again, just a great reminder for us. We, God places us in this thing called the church. We have familyship in Christ, and it's a gift that God gives us. And we get to grow together and make ourselves better together. And he basically says, hey, give a shout out to people. You know, that word saints, some of you are like me. I, when I was younger, I, I went to Catholic school and Catholic mass. And, and I'm grateful for my time there and the heritage that I have from that. Um, but my definition, at least the way that I understood when they talked about saints was like superheroes of the faith. Right? They had to do something miraculous and something you know beyond normal, and then they could achieve sainthood. 
You know, when you go through the Bible, you realize, oh, that's not quite the definition that Scripture gives us. We're all saints. To know the Lord, to be, saint really just means to be separated. So you think, oh, that's not that great. That's good. It's good. Saint Nate, Saint LJ. The blessing of God's grace. For us this morning, it's a great place for us to end our series. And as a benediction, I, I pray for us. I pray for you. That the grace of God would be with us. That the grace of God would be with you. That in all things, that we would embrace God's grace. That it would be the fragrance of our fellowship. When people walk in, like, something's different here. That it would be God's grace. The grace that we walk in and the grace that we give. And so grace be with you all. Amen. Father, I thank you for our time this morning, even as the worship team comes and the ushers prepare. Lord, thank you how we're reminded of your atoning sacrifice for us. It's because your body, Jesus, was nailed to a cross. It was because your blood that flowed from your body that we have been forgiven. We have been set free. We've, we've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ, and in that, Lord, we can come to you with confidence. Lord, we know your desire is for us to be a house of prayer. Lord, we want to be a people of prayer, to share in prayer. Father, I say forgive us for neglecting such a privilege. Forget, forgive us for forgetting such a power. Help us to know what it means to pray without ceasing. And Lord, beyond that, that we wouldn't be afraid or ashamed to ask others to pray for us. It's a way that we can exercise humility, appropriate family intimacy with each other. And Lord, ultimately, we thank you that you live forever to make intercession for us. We thank you that we have this standing invitation into your courtroom of praise. Anytime we need, anytime and any need that we have. And so, Father, as we have this time of communion now, as we worship in song, as we partake of the bread and the cup, we pray you'd search our hearts first, that we confess anything that doesn't belong, and we would draw close to you, remembering who you are, what you've done, and Lord, that we would walk in and work out in love the things that you've given us, Lord. To your glory and your pleasure alone. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, gang.